0: Let's, let's, do, let's go to the participation question. We have a preschool here at, uh, at, at City Life. Hannah's the director of the preschool. Come on. What, what are things that we do not teach at our preschool? I'll give you an example. We do not have a driver's ed class at our preschool. You with me? So what are some things like that? Life skills that, that, that you know that they're going to need at some point, but they're not ready yet. Let's start on this side over here. Somebody. Over here. Anybody? Something we don't teach at our preschool. Anybody? Algebra. How to cook with grease. Yes. There's no bacon cooking in the preschool. One day. So good. Somebody else over here before I go to the middle? What's that? Yes. Firearm safety. It's Coast Guard instructor right here. Somebody, somebody here. Anybody? Something we don't teach at our preschool. Cecilia. How to change a tire? No, we do not. We do not teach them how to. You guess you guys have a preschool. You, you have a whole list running through your head right now, Mike. Sex education. F- sex education, he said. No, we do not do sex education with a preschool. That is so great. That's awesome. That's so great. Uh, they operate a premier preschool right here in Yorktown, and sex education is not part of their curriculum. Somebody else, anybody here in the middle? Something we don't teach at our preschool. Hannah, anything you want to add? Rock. Well, rock. We do not do rock throwing contests. There's no slings. Reenacting the story of David and Goliath. We don't do it. Oh, oh look at this! Look at this! Youth participating. Well done, Pastor David. That's great, Brendley. Dating. dating. Yeah, no dating classes. Tax. Taxes. taxes. Yeah, <laughs> that's great, Michael. I was gonna say taxes. You were going to say taxes too. <laughs> Carpentry, no, no hammers, no nails, no sharp objects, no power tools. Anybody back here? Anybody, something we don't teach at our preschool? How to be a parent? No, that's right. They don't teach it. I was thinking about we don't teach them how to cut up vegetables, sharp knives. We don't teach them how to operate a lawnmower. Like, we, we could just keep going on and on and on. Because a great teacher understands the ability and the potential of their students. Right? A great teacher, when you step into that moment of instruction, you, you are aware of who the people are that are listening. And a great teacher does not make demands of their students that are impossible for them. A, a great teacher doesn't set them up for failure. A great teacher sets people up for success. Now, it might stretch the student. Right? We teach sharing in our preschool, do we not, Hannah? Yeah. And for some children, it is a stretch for them on certain days. We, we teach that hitting is not appropriate behavior. Right? I'm, I'm up and down the halls all the time, right? And I pass through the door. Sometimes I see right, a child in a timeout right there. Right? We're, we're working on self-control. We teach self-control. Sometimes it is a stretch for them a good teacher sometimes makes demands of their students but demands of them what's inside of them they're they're capable of doing Matthew chapter 5 beginning in verse 21 now i'm going to bounce around a little bit if you're following along with me i'm going to start in verse 21 and then and then i'm going i'm going to jump around this this is the the famous sermon on the mount this is Jesus' most popular sermon it's in your Bible it's in Matthew's chapter Matthew chapters 5, 6 and 7 all three chapters right I'm going to jump into 21 this is teaching about anger You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder if you commit murder you are su- you are subject to judgment but I say if you are even angry with someone you are subject to judgment If you call someone an idiot you are in danger of being brought before the court and if you curse someone you are in danger of the fires of hell. Somebody say, "Uh oh." Teach, teaching about adultery. You you have heard command. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery in his heart. So if you're I, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out, and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body then for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now we know that Jesus is not condoning right self-dismemberment here. It's, he's using imagery to say that sometimes you've got to be willing to let go of something that you can't imagine your life without it. Verse 38, teaching about revenge. You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not risk, resist an evil person. If someone, this is hard, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. Anybody doing good with that? I don't do, I'm not good with that. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it too. Roman soldiers were allowed to to demand of a non-Roman citizen that they carry their pack for a mile. And Jesus is saying, when they do that, not only do it, but say, I'm going to walk with you another mile still. Give to those who ask. Don't turn away from those who want to borrow. How about teaching about loving your enemies? You have heard the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you, and in that way you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight on both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, right? which we're good at, what reward is there for that? None. Even corrupt tax collectors, well done, youth section taxes. Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how were you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. I'm, I'm going to keep going. Let's let's do one more teaching about giving to the needy. Watch out! Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others. For you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven when you give to someone in need. Don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in synagogues and the streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, you have already received the reward that they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. That's good, isn't it? Matthew 5, 6, and 7, groups of verses, one after another, after another, after another, after another, after another, just like the ones that we've read. When you read that, do you see a teacher, our Savior, the Son of God, being dictatorial? Do you see him pointing a finger Do do you see him making demands of us that he already knows we could never do? Because if that's how we see it, I don't think we're seeing it the right way. Because he's the greatest of all teachers. Is it possible that when Jesus steps into these moments and says these things to us, it's not because he's angry that we're not doing it, it's because he believes in you. It's because the son of the living God sees your life, sees my life, as much as we fall short from all of these things, and he keeps saying these things to us, not to shame us, but to say, you can do it. You have the ability to live this life that I've called you to live. He's a good teacher. He's the best of teachers. He understands the abilities that we have. He sees the potential. In all of us, dare we call ourselves his students, I hope we do, Jesus believes in me. Have you ever noticed, right, this is part of the series that we're in, I didn't do any other recap tonight, you'll either have to listen to last week or come back next week if you, if, if you want to fit it all in to where we're going, but the Sermon on the Mount starts with the Beatitudes, which we've already taught here as part of the series is one of what we call the five great growth lists. That together combine, taking out the overlap, gives us the 24 virtues of Christ. That if words were paint, then we have a portrait of the character of Christ in these five great growth lists. And the Beatitudes are part of it. Have you ever stopped to think why Jesus starts with virtue and then talks about deeds? Because it's what we've been teaching in this series that a virtuous heart produces godly deeds. Jesus starts with the virtues because if we're going to live up to these deeds, if we're going to give ourselves to these practices, it's only possible if it flows from a virtuous heart. The Beatitudes comes first. Like we talked about the week that we did the participation moment for what does a plant required to grow. Let me just say, too, somebody share with me after church. I won't say their name, but this hilarious story. Because we do participation moments most Saturdays. And, uh, and, and, and after church, most people left. There was a handful of young adults that were, that were hanging around. And, uh, and this young adult came up and said, uh, did, did, did you see me when you were walking around? I was like, no, you know, I didn't. Because, you know, I'm thinking about what I'm going to say next. And they're like, because cause I was asleep when you, when you were walking around. And, uh, and and so he said, I was sitting on the end, and I had my elbow up on the end of the pew, and I just had my head rest. I wasn't intending to fall asleep, and then the next thing I know, I was out. And when I woke up, you were standing right in front of me. He's like, when when I fell asleep, you were up there, but but when I woke up, you were right in front of me, right? So just so you know, be warned, be warned. So we were dying, we were dying hilarious. He said, I didn't know what to do with my hands. I felt so self-conscious. I didn't know what the question was. I didn't know what I was supposed to say. Oh, that's so good. You never know. We're walking around. We were talking about what does a plant need to grow? Virtues are no different than the gardens you have planted. If you create a spiritually vibrant environment in your life, virtues will grow. Let me say that again. If you create a spiritually vibrant environment in your life, virtues will grow. This was central to our whole approach to parenting with our kids. As, as, as we were a values and virtues based household. Did, did we teach our kids about do's and don'ts and rules? Some. But we spent most of our time talking about virtues and values. Because if you are a virtuous person and you have biblical values, guess what? A lot of the do's and the don'ts tend to take care of themselves. If you create a spiritually vibrant environment in your life, virtues will grow. And the consistent work of the 12 pathways are the keys to that spiritual vibrancy. It's like the tendons that connect you to the Christian experience. The work of gardening the soul. Let's look at this verse together. This is in Jeremiah 6.16. If you've been a part of this church any man of time, you've, you've seen this verse. Thus saith the Lord, stand by the roads and look, and ask for what? The ancient paths where the good way is, and walk in it, and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. Right, It's a powerful picture, what I believe, is creating the imagery for spiritual disciplines, which we call pathways, because we believe they take you somewhere, so we like that title better. And then it's a perfect commentary on the human condition. Even though it's what's best for us, there's something inside of us that says, I'm going to do it my own way. But there is no better way than Jesus' way, and he looks at you and he looks at me. Even when we're failing, he says, I believe in you, you can do it. He calls us to this virtuous life for the good deeds that flow from it, and then he models for us and teaches us the pathways that we're supposed to live by that make those virtues possible. I I just want to talk about each of these 12 just conversationally. I'm not going to teach on them. not going to give you verses. If you want verses and things like this, this is free for you. If you've never gotten a book, the list of the pathways, the virtues, Scripture references, definitions all in here. See somebody with a blue shirt. It's a gift from us to you. Let's look at these first four, Scripture, prayer, fasting, and worship. We do not list these pathways in order. We don't prioritize them. We feel that's problematic. If you prioritize these pathways, in and over, and over 20 years of pastoral ministry, I've seen it every time, you will tend to give yourself permission to not do the ones that are further down on the list. There's going to be some that you're drawn to more than others. There's 12 principles that govern the 12 pathways. That's where we're going for the next two weeks. We're going to do six each week. S- scripture for you. If the Bible is unfamiliar, or even if it's not, and you just haven't picked it up, I I I don't say to people set a goal to read the Bible every day because I don't I don't think most people are going to read the Bible every day. But what I do say is read the Bible most days. I I think if you get to the end of your life and you've read the Bible most days, you you're going to be better off. Read it most days. If you've got a, I, I try to pick a Bible plan. I'm doing the New Testament in a year this year. I bounce around to different plans. I don't catch it every day, but I catch it most days. And, and what I find is that if I set my goal to something that's within reach, most I read the Bible more in a year, right? Most days. Most days. Prayer. If you have ever had a conversation with another human being, how many people here have had a conversation with another human being at some point in their life? Yes, you have then I would say to you, congratulations, you know how to pray. If you've had a conversation with another human being, if you've told another person something that you admire about them, if you share with that person a hope, a dream, or a fear, or talk about your day, right? If you have had a conversation, with an, then you already know how to pray. I think sometimes we make it more complicated than it has to be. The way that you converse with others just start to turn that attention Towards your creator in heaven. I've never heard God's voice, but I say that I feel his voice. And I feel it more frequently when I talk to him more often. Prayer. Fasting. Fasting. If you have never... You can fast all kinds of things. You can fast media. You can fast... maybe a, a, a program that comes on TV that you record and you can't imagine your life without watching it every week, right? You, you, you could set that aside. You, you could set aside maybe dessert or candy, not coffee, but maybe something else. No, so, something, right? But what if you have never fasted a, a f- food in a way that causes your body to feel hungry, then I would say you've not experienced everything that fasting has to offer you. If you have a medical condition, talk to your doctor. I guarantee your doctor can help you put together something that you can do in a day to cause your body to feel hunger. I am absolutely convinced, absolutely convinced that 80% of people's issues with self-control with self-control, is because they don't have the regular practice of fasting. When, when you awaken your body's survival instinct, when you deny your body food, something inside of you biologically says, we're going to die, we're going to die, we're going to die. And all these endorphins are released from your brain that create all of these cravings. When you can say to that part of you, shut up. When you can deny that part of you, I'm telling you, there is no appetite in your life that you cannot conquer. There's no appetite in your life that you cannot conquer. When, when, when I made a, a vow of devotion to Christ in December of 1990 when I was 23 years old, one of the first things I felt like God asked me to do, I fasted every single Thursday for an entire, entire year. It changed my life. It changed my life. Fasting, worship, acts of expression lead to feelings of intimacy. Find, find your worship voice. You don't have to sing. I can't sing. Most of us in this room are never going to sound like Dom. Right? Just acceptance. Just acceptance, right? We, right th- this is his. It's his assignment. It's part of his gift. But we don't have to sound. We don't have to have the giftedness of this stage. Dom's right in his head over there, right? We don't have to have the gift to step into worship. There has to be a gifting and calling to lead people in it. But you don't have to be gifted to participate. All of us are called to participate. Find your worship voice because acts of expression lead to feelings of intimacy. So borrow the words of that song. Well, I cannot sing, but I'm making noises over here. That's why Vanessa stands far away from me. <laughs> body posture, right? We understand body posture. When you're talking with people, you're doing things with your body, right? Because it helps us express ourselves. There's a reason why the Bible says, lift your hands, clap, kneel, dance, jump, right? It's Body posture, because acts of expression lead to feelings of intimacy, and God is inviting us. He we're not teaching religious intellectualism here. It's waking up every day knowing God is our best and closest friend. Next, 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 next group of four, gathering. There are people that have been in church their entire life and they have not ever gathered. You you can spend your whole life in church and not gather. Because gathering means you cross the threshold of gathering when you stop coming to church just for yourself. There are people that spend their whole lives in the church, and the only reason they come is for what's in it for them. We take consumerism and we bring it into Christianity and it doesn't belong there. Does it mean that it's wrong for us to want to get something out of it? No, that's not wrong. I hope you come because you get something out of the service. I hope you come because it's meaningful and fulfilling. Just Don't just come for that. At some point, gathering means that you come with an expectation and a hope that God's going to use your life to do something meaningful in the life of another. Come for what God does for you, but come with a hope and expectation that you're going to be a part of having an impact on somebody else's life. Gathering, reaching. Reaching is knowing your story with Jesus and knowing Jesus' story with the world. That's why as we're going to do it at the end of the service. Every single Saturday, we're doing the Welcome Home Moment where we teach and explain the gospel for people who maybe have never heard of it. Part of it is to teach you about it. You, you have the ability. You don't, we don't have to be great evangelists. I'm not a, I'm, evangelism is not one of my giftings and callings, right? I struggle with it sometimes in moments. When I'm out in the community, when I'm in here, it's easy because you expect it from me. But when I'm in line at the grocery store, people don't know me as Pastor Fred, right? I'm just the tall dad body guy that's in there buying something just like anybody else. Right? So you, we, we have these struggles with, what should I say? Am I going to offend somebody? I wrestle with all those same things just like you do. You, you got to find your little phrases that you use. When, one that I've started to use just this year, if I feel that prompting, maybe somebody comes to, to, to do service on our house a plumber or an electrician, then I, 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 I'm selling stuff. I always got stuff for sale on Facebook Marketplace. If there's an opening that comes, this is the phrase that I've started to use. Can I, can I ask you a question? Is Jesus part of your story? You'd be surprised at how many people want to talk about Jesus being a part of their story, or if he's not. What is, what is your story with Jesus and what's Jesus' story to the world? Everybody has the ability to reach with the gospel. Relationship. If you are an introvert like I am, it's okay. It just means that you're going to have two friends instead of 20, but you should have some. Right? Our personalities cannot be permission to live in isolation. They cannot, they must not be. We, we are created as relational beings to know others and to be known by them. So get to church a little early. Stay a little longer. If you're new, come have a donut. Meet, meet somebody. There are people, all of the people that are in this room, like the people that are up on the stage, that I cannot imagine my life without them. At some point, these people were strangers to me. You with me? At some point, I would have passed Pastor David on the street, and I would not have known who he was. It, it, all of us. All of our closest friends at some point were a stranger. There's new friends and new close friends that are waiting for you and I. In our Accountability. Accountability is not about having people tell us what to do. Accountability is people that we trust, people of character, people we can confide, confide in, people whose no gives us pause. That's the phrase. I want to have people in my life, and I do, here in this church. Their no gives me pause. I want to have people in my life that I trust enough, if they have questions about something I'm doing, an attitude that I have, an idea, something maybe I feel like God has shared with me, right? I, I want people who know me enough and love me enough to ask me the hard questions. All right, the final four. Service. If, you call, if this isn't your church that you call home, I hope you have a church that you call home somewhere. Find a place where you can plug in at least once a month. At least once a month. Not because the church has work to be done, although that's true, but because there's work that needs to be done in your heart. And there is work that will not get done in your heart until you posture yourself in a place of service to other people. Generosity. I like to say in the Lord's Prayer when we say, give us this day our daily bread, He does not give us the whole loaf to consume for ourselves. Our approach to finances and our lives, which we have modeled, which our children now take up, is that there should always be slices of that loaf that belong to other people because all of it belongs to God anyways. There should be some sense inside of us that says, God, what do you want me to do with the money that you have given to me? We believe in the biblical principle of tithing. We practice that here at our church. All of our leaders practice that here in our church. If that's new for you, what I would say is try it for 90 days just to see what God might do. I, I believe that, that tithing is about redemption, that you give the 10%, it redeems the rest for the blessing that God has already set aside for it. We teach on giving about twice a year here, and we do a financial update once a quarter because we want people to understand this biblical principle of generosity. Stewardship is everything else beyond your money. Stewardship means that you live with this belief in this idea of divine ownership. Your material possessions, your gifts, your abilities, everything about your life, it belongs to Him. And then finally, rest. Hello, Saturday church. We're sleeping in tomorrow. We believe in the practice of Sabbath. We believe that one out of every seven days, you should set aside for a day free from compulsion. We taught on that two-week series this summer. You can go find that online. I hope that rest is a part of your routine. These 12 pathways, you see them differently when you think of it as a pathway. Do they take discipline? You better believe that they do. They take discipline to do. And I think for most people, more teaching about them in depth is not what they need. They just have to make a decision one day that they're going to get up, and they're going to say, I'm going to make these things a part of our lives. Pathways, they take us somewhere. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. I'm going to teach you next week, just at the start of the sermon, because we're not going to get there tonight, a way to assess to see if these pathways are a part of your life, what we call red, yellow, and green. May, can you put up the Matthew 16, 24 to 27 verse? This is the verse that launches this series and gives us its name. I'm just going to read that last verse, 27. For the Son of Man will come with his angels. In the glory of his Father, and he will judge all people according to their deeds. And the Greek word there is praxis. Meaning that good deeds that flow from a virtuous person. In fact, I would go as far to say godly deeds that flow from a virtuous person. All of us are going to stand before God one day. And he's going to talk to us about how we lived our lives. Stand with me. This is our welcome home moment. We're doing it every, every week for our online community, hundreds of people watching online. Somebody might be out there, right? Never heard the gospel before. We're saying it every Saturday. At 311 Selden Road. We're going to talk about what Jesus did for us. We believe that every person shares the same deep desire, and that's to know God and to be known by Him. You and I were born into this world with a hunger and a thirst to know God and to be known by Him. But you, me, everyone else, are born into this world with the same dilemma, that we're born into this world separated from Him. And all the regrets that we have, which the Bible calls sin, those things keep us separated from God. And it breaks our heart to think that there will be people on their day of judgment that it will be the very first time they ever have a sense of knowing God and being known by Him. We want to change that as a church. In God's justice system, the smallest regret Jesus said, is, is worthy of eternal death. But here comes the good news. Jesus says, my life is an answer to that. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone's in Christ, there are new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. That's Jesus promising us that he begins to change us from the inside out. There's work that we're supposed to do, but how many of you know there's work that only he can do? He changes us. He gives us new desires and, and new strength to resist temptation that maybe we thought was impossible And then he says that when I died on the cross, I died for every regret that you've ever had. All of that punishment, he says, rested with me. And and then he also says, and that forgiveness also extends to every mistake that you're ever going to make. So on this journey of becoming a new person, we're still going to fall along the way. And Jesus says, that's okay. My forgiveness extends to those things too. So that when you and I stand before him on our day of judgment, We do not have to stand in fear of condemnation. We can stand with the humble hope that his invitation to you and to me is into eternal life. So we're telling that story every week. So people have an opportunity to hear, as Paul says in Romans, and in hearing they might believe, and in believing they might make their own confession of faith of what we call a vow of devotion to Christ. So if that's you... I'm going to pray in just a minute. I'm going to invite you to borrow my words. We're going to close our eyes and create a moment of privacy. If you're part of our online community, you can go into a private chat room and one of our hosts would pray with you. But I'm just going to invite you, as you look back into the story of your life, if you can't find a moment in time where you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, that you're going to borrow my words and this moment becomes your moment today. Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God that you died and rose from the dead, conquering sin and death. And so on this day, I make a vow of devotion to you. Would you come in and begin to do that work of changing me on the inside out? I accept the forgiveness that you offer, and I live the rest of my days in complete surrender to you. Knowing that one day when I stand before you, there's an invitation for eternal life waiting for me. And Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Come on, and everybody sit together. Amen.